You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors to author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Thank you for being here with me, Shirley. We are... Uh, meeting for the very first time through this podcast. And uh, I know um, we know uh, we have a mutual friend, Pastor Mimsy, who introduced me to you. I'm so glad that you're here with me. Why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, my name is Shirley Annan. I am the Ministry Programs Coordinator at Bethel Gospel Assembly, which is located in East Harlem. I also sit as the chair of Spark of Justice, which is the social justice ministry of Bethel Gospel Assembly. And in this capacity, I am actively engaged in um, a number of social justice initiatives in and around the community. Yeah, let's, uh, um, I want to take, uh, in this uh, podcast, I want to talk about mostly, I would like to focus on Spark of Justice, your role in that, but also just want to hear what's going on in our community, especially in the, uh, um, so I live uh, in Midtown Manhattan, mm -hmm. um, and you are up in uh, Harlem, mm -hmm. but still our city is affected by this, our nation is affected by this, whole world is affected by this. So I want to spend some time just talking about Spark of Justice, and uh, more importantly, um, the I, I see that you said, um, 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 that, uh, you are dedicated, you're, I mean, in, you're dedicated to, um, uh, working with, I, I believe with, with, um, uh, the, and uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm understanding yes. incorrectly, please go ahead and uh, correct me. Um, New York police department and, uh, uh, New York state, uh, um, I believe the Senate where, uh, uh, you have the honor for uh, um, presenting your work or uh, uh, discussing your work um, in the community. So I want to talk about that a little bit too, because uh, um, I do have a good I do have a good relationship with the um, NYPD, and mm -hmm. we pray for them. But we know that uh, right now the community is not very help uh, you know happy uh, with mm -hmm. the. Uh, the department. So I want to talk mm -hmm. about a little bit about that. And then, of course, this is a faith-based uh, podcast. So I would love to hear um, what is it is is it that uh, the church is doing in the middle of all of this and how youth and young adults are involved. And then, of course, uh, I want to hear some voice. It's uh, the podcast name is uh, Our Urban voices so i would love to hear story or two of some of your uh, um, um, colleagues or the people you have uh, uh, worked with or the change you are seeing those kind of things but let's uh, start uh, from the top let's start with the spark of justice give us a little more uh, 
um, understanding how is this organization helping the city and the community? Sure. Um, so Spark of Justice, as I said, is the social justice ministry of Bethel Gospel Assembly. And so uh, we know both in New York City and uh, throughout the country, there are a number of nonprofits and even individuals who have sort of accepted the charge um, to engage in the work of social justice. However, uh, one point of differentiation for Spark of Justice is that um, our mission is Christ-centered. And so because we are uh, Christians, we firmly believe in um, in centering Christ in, in everything that we do. We sort of lead with Christ and we understand that as Christians, we are agents of reconciliation. So over and above um, protesting or raising awareness about um, a broken system or structure and how it may be adversely impacting uh, the lives of the members of our community, we are also really intentional about seeking avenues for reconciliation. I think that that um, more so expresses the heart of Christ and that's what we wanna do. So talking about Christ, um, I do understand um, that there is a difference between uh, social justice as it is understood, the term itself um, in our society, especially in New York City and uh, the biblical justice, right? The justice mm -hmm. itself that, that the Bible uh, calls us, uh, mm -hmm. Christian community to act on, right? So I, I do understand the difference, but when you're talking about uh, um, Harlem, uh, some of the issues that we have uh, faced and continue to face, here, um, number one would be, I guess, uh, a racial injustice, right? So you have mm -hmm. a racial inequality. Then you have, uh, 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 surely the second one, I think, will be economical disparity or uh, marginalization of that. And then the third will be also you have uh, um, uh, the issue of gender. Um, so I, I don't want to, I, I just want to focus on the first two and uh, want to hear from you what what specific initiatives that, uh, you guys are involved especially you are involved and uh, um, if those initiatives are producing any results sure um i think if i could i would go back um to something that you mentioned as you were speaking you said that there you understand there to be a difference between biblical justice and uh, social justice. Um, and, and as I heard that, um, to me, there seems to be an attempt to separate secular from faith-based um, engagement in the work of social justice. And, and for me, I don't know that there is a separation. I think that biblically speaking, we are mandated um, by the word, by the love of God, to seek justice for all, period. And so with that, there is no separation um, between secular social justice or engaging systems and structures, again, that are impacting our everyday lives. And this could be everything from 
law enforcement, to the public school systems, to public housing, to um, economic justice, to environmental justice, all of those things are, to me, um, mandated by the word of God for us to be actively engaged, A, to be aware um, of the systems and structures that are impacting our lives, and then to, in boldness, speak truth to power so that we see transformation and that we empower the members of our community to walk in the abundant life that is theirs. Um, so for me, um, they are they are one in the same. And uh, with that, I mean, with regard to some of the work that SOJ is, is engaged in, we did a number of years ago a study on, and it was a very informal study, I should say that. Um, we did a study, however, on all of the things within our community. And um, I, when I say our community, I'm referencing the community where our home church at the Gospel Assembly is located, and that's in the East Harlem community. Where we're situated happens to be at the border that separates the east side from the west side. So we have footprints on both sides. Um, but for the, the sake of, of sort of being strategic in our efforts, we've partnered primarily with the 25th Precinct. So the bulk of our work focuses um, on the east side of Harlem. And so we are engaged in the work of police reform. And we are engaged in the work of interrupting youth uh, youth violence, gun violence in the community. We do um, a number, particularly in the season uh, where the pandemic has been impacting uh, especially East Harlem residents at um, a, like a large scale. We've done some work with, we've partnered with the state senator to make sure PPE, masks, hand sanitizers, food um, was, was being uh, a portion to members of the community. I know the city was very focused initially on um, ensuring that a lot of resources were made available to the residents of NYCHA. And rightly so, because East Harlem, again, has the greatest concentration of NYCHA developments um, in the state. But um, there are families who fell through uh, the donut hole, if you will, in the city strategy in that they don't live in NYCHA. Um, they were hourly, uh, by and large, hourly wage earners, or they had salaried jobs, which put them over the cap for eligibility with regard to social services like uh, SNAP benefits but they didn't earn enough to sort of maintain the cost of living that increased with the presence of the pandemic. And so things like keeping up with rent and buying food and you know, utilizing delivery services and all these other things that sort of became mandatory at the height of the pandemic. There were families that were really struggling. They didn't have access to some of the wider resources that were available in the city. And so SOJ stepped up um, and, and step out, as it were, to make sure that our neighbors in need were supported. So um, going back to, so first, first of all, this is what I want to talk, what you just mentioned. Those are very practical steps uh, you guys are taking. And uh, I know that there is a, um, there is, there's, you guys are also um, engaging 
in a conversation or some sort of uh, uh, march regarding the gun violence. So in a minute, I want to talk about that too. But I'm going to go uh, take you back to the difference uh, we were talking about. And and of course, uh, um, you definitely uh, have you have your opinion. I got mine, and I'm sure our viewers or our listeners got their own mm-hmm. understanding. So biblical justice and uh, social justice. Um, the only reason um, I, I think I want to make sure um, that it's very clear that why I think there is a difference because uh, um, I believe in traditional marriage um, as the scripture mandates. And though I love uh, um, LGBT community, uh, but at the same time, um, uh, that would be the right uh, um, for marriage um, mm-hmm. for them would be something that I will not be uh, advocating or mm-hmm. um, those kind of things, very mm-hmm. strong points that uh, are right now for some time um, are the part, I think mm-hmm. they are the part of mm-hmm. our social justice conversation on every platform. So in this mm-hmm. platform, I just wanna wanted to make that difference. Other than that, everything you said is correct. We want to talk about environment. God put us uh, in charge and uh, God gave us this is the stewardship to care for the planet so there is no doubt I'm I'm absolutely I'm with you on that justice for um, environmental justice I definitely um, everything else you said so So I do want to give you a chance I do want to give you a chance to clarify that little piece because uh, you are uh, you know associated with uh, a church that has been known for uh, being evangelical. So I just want to give you a chance to clarify a little bit of that part. Thank you so much for that opportunity. I want to say then um, with your mentioning that piece of it, and we are in total agreement at the Gospel Assembly as a ministry. And I myself personally strongly believe in um, God's definition for marriage being between a man and a woman. Um, And we also welcome um, openly our LGBTQ um, neighbors, but with the understanding that um, what God has ordained is what we follow. Amen. So, yeah, I, I, I thought so. I thought so. And I think I it took me some time, I mean, many years to get to this point where mm-hmm. I begin to I begin to talk about biblical justice or mm-hmm. just using the term justice as opposed to social justice, especially in the last, uh, I would say, eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. I have uh, gone through in the in the, uh, you know, wake of this tragedy after uh, George Floyd's tragedy and how um, suddenly churches and denominations and even uh, secular uh, outlets start talking about race and there was so much uh, material out. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I was able to listen to some of the best uh, uh, evangelical leaders talking about that. And uh, actually one of that guy, uh, I don't want to talk about him here, but he explained it so well, and he brought these different points, political points and uh, um, uh, political agendas that I ended up, okay, well, I, I just need to stick to what I know, and that is I'm going to call it justice, then because I cannot on every single platform um, clarify my 
my position on mm-hmm. uh, traditional marriage. So mm-hmm. that was the only reason why I said the difference. Otherwise, uh, you're right. Um, Thank you. God Thank calls you. us uh, to to um, care for uh, the community and mm-hmm. uh, uh, for those who are, uh, um, um, you know, in need. So let's talk now. Let me get you back to uh, your track. We were talking about uh, the economical uh, situation that the community is going through in East Harlem. Mm-hmm. So what I would like to know is how's I, I um, uh, forgive me. I did not check the um, numbers for uh, poverty in that that area mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, joblessness or uh, unemployment. Um, would you mind telling our audience if you have uh, some information what's going on? with the employment rate or unemployment rate in this wow. case? Yeah. Um, well, I guess, are you asking with regard to the pandemic or even prior to? Oh, uh, definitely during pandemic. That was what I was thinking. But I'm also thinking if you have some idea of even outside the pandemic, it at least shows um, how uh uh, the communities are marginalized in urban settings. So that's, I, I think, that my, my focus is. So yes, definitely the, during pandemic, but outside of pandemic, if you know that too. So that would be great. Yeah, sure. Um, so generally speaking, um, as, I, as I mentioned briefly, in the East Harlem community, there is uh, the greatest concentration of uh, public housing development um, definitely in the city and I believe statewide, um, roughly 37% of the households are single parent households headed up by women. Um, 32% of the residents of the East Harlem community live below the poverty, the federal poverty line. Um, There is an education rate as far as the city of New York goes, I think the average across the city is something like 46% of households hold a bachelor's degree. And in the East Harlem community, 34% of households, um, the head of household holds a bachelor's degree. And so there is a great level of disparity, but it isn't so great that you would expect to see um, the difference in in uh, household income as what you see um, around the city. And so the average household income in the East Harlem community is, um, for a single parent household is $37,000 per year. Um, and in a two parent household, um, which, uh, and, I'm, and I'm recalling this number, so please don't hold me to this one. Um, 24% of households in the East Harlem community are uh, two-parent household, and the average household income is $47,000 in a two-parent household here in East Harlem. So there is a great level of disparity, um, and with the pandemic, that has been exacerbated. A number of households here in the East Harlem community are headed um by by individuals who are uh, hourly wage earners um, or are in trade professions and work in industries where there were they were greatly impacted by um, the shutdown in the city. 
and um, fell into situations including housing insecurity, um, certainly food insecurity uh, became a prevalent issue in the community as well. Help me, help me and our listeners uh, to understand how it affects um, young people. And uh, of course, today's young people are the adults of tomorrow. So, mm -hmm. um, and if the chain is not broken, whether we are talking about uh, economical disparity or we're talking about uh, the lack of opportunities to excel in a profession or education, uh, you know, all of these things. I, I mean, you, you said so well, so all these uh, numbers that you shared with us, with that in mind, uh, help us to understand how it affects a, a young child or a young person today. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. two, part two of the same question would be <clears throat> moving forward, right? Moving forward beyond this uh, uh, conversation. Um, I would like to uh, hear um so if somebody is listening to this podcast, uh, for, um, and I'm not, I know that our audience is uh, outside of New York City too, and a lot of time they do not know uh, many of these things. So I just want to mm -hmm. hear some of your thoughts beyond moving beyond this conversation. What is, the, is it that you suggest to folks uh, who are not part of this uh, uh, community or they just happen to... Uh, be on this podcast, they heard these numbers, they want to do something. So help them. That's the second part, right? Uh, tell them what is this? What is it that they can do to help? So those are two two things. Oh, um, sure. So with regard to the first part of your question, how does the, the statistics mentioned in the current environment in the community impact youth? The answer is greatly um, and, you know, in a number of layered ways, right? So when we think about our day-to-day -day lives um, and, and what that looks like in the context of family, there are a number of pressures that the youth in this community live with, right, as a matter of course that greatly and severely impact a, their outlook on life, their outlook on the future, um, and then also how they make sort of immediate and then long-ranging choices. And I think that that then feeds into some of the other issues that we see in the community and why some of the present responses seem to be well-intentioned and at the same time insufficient because they wind up treating the symptoms as opposed to getting at the root of the problem. So um, the, the, the community in East Harlem is, is largely uh, either Black and African American or um, Latino. And, and there, there's an Asian community here that, which comprises, I think, roughly about uh, 10 or 11% of the community. Um, and, and then a growing um, Caucasian or white um, presence as well, which at last time I checked was at something like 3% of the community. So outside of that, um, largely Black and African American. I mentioned that because, or Black and Latino, I mentioned that because culturally, multi-generational living situations are very common. So it, that means that you can find 
two to three generations residing in an apartment or in a brownstone. And while it has its benefits, a lot of these homes were not created to hold multi-generational families. So you get a situation where you have, you know, son, daughter, mom, grandma living in the same house, maybe aunt and uncle living in the same house. Um, They don't have enough space for all of those lives to to coexist peacefully um, without creating added stress. You have a situation where maybe in all of those people that are living in that house, um, the, the, the working age individuals in that house may hold menial jobs that need to support the entirety of the household. That's a stressful situation, right? Um, Children, generally speaking, understand and see. They see and they perceive far more than we say as adults. So they might see mommy is working two jobs to try to take care of all of us. She's stressed. I have needs. I I legitimately have things that I need as a growing child, as a teenager. I see the stress that my mom is carrying. I may be able to share with her the things that I need. I mean, more than likely I don't because I don't want to add to her stress. So now this becomes stress that I as a child carry, right? I have needs. They are legitimate. Mm -hmm. I cannot share them out. I need to protect the sanctity of my family. We all want to protect our family. Nobody runs around saying all the things that your household doesn't have and all the needs that can't be met. These kids are living with that every day. Um, They're going to school. We're saying to them, you can be anything that you want to be. The future is yours to hold. How are they going to pay for college? That sounds great as rhetoric until you become 17 and 18, until you're 16 years old, until you're going through the college application process. And these numbers look astronomical. Right. Mm. Um, And then they're told you can apply for scholarships. You can and they exist. But every kid that applies is not getting them. They just aren't enough. And so the re- the reality of I want to go to Duke, I want to go to UConn, I want to go to UPenn, I want to go to Harvard starts to dwindle. And, you know, local schools, community schools, trade schools start to look more realistic. Now, already we're lowering the ceiling for our kids just off the basis of that alone. Come back from the college application process and talk about day-to-day living. I want to go and get a job. I'm 14, I'm 15, I'm 16. I have my working permit. I want to go and get a job. In my community, I'm competing for the same hourly wage jobs as adults who need to keep food on the table and roofs over their heads, who need to feed their families and children because this is what's available in the community. So realistically speaking, as an employer, if I can choose a 35-year-old who has responsibilities and therefore will take this job more seriously over a teenager who just because they're young may or may not be as dependable, I'm going with the 34-year-old, right? And that that makes sense from a business perspective. But now that 16-year-old doesn't have a job, has fewer outlets and fewer possibilities, fewer opportunities. So now what do they do? You have a crowded home that you're living in. You're carrying a, 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 an, un, an abnormal load of stress. And now you need money. So you turn to the streets because it's there in abundance. It's easier. Um, and, and, and there are fewer restrictions, fewer sort of uh, 
approval steps, if I can put it that way, that sort of need to be um, accounted for in order to, to kind of get involved in that sort of dubious lifestyle. So a lot of kids don't get into it because it's glorified or because that's what they want to do. But we are, we have to keep in mind that we're talking about kids, right? We're talking about kids with a limited amount of life experiences and a limited number of resources in order to respond to sort of adult level stress. And so they don't have the best decision-making skills all the time, but they have real-life problems that they have to contend with. You know, if mom is the only one holding down the house and rent is consistently not being paid in full every month and eviction becomes a real-life concern, and I'm a 16-year-old boy, I'm a 17-year-old boy, I need to help out. I can't get the job at Rite Aid. I can't get the job at McDonald's because it went to an adult. What am I going to do? You know, wow. so, yeah, these are the choices that they have to make. Now, add to that a pandemic <laughs> where the city gets shut down. Um, resources, you know, these sort of informal support structures that kids build for themselves, whether it's the guidance counselor at school, the after school program, the community center, um, the local, you know, like the neighborhood grandma who kind of just lets the kids hang out and will feed them after school or whatever. Like all of those informal support structures are gone. All of those stressors are magnified. It just, it, it, it's a boiling pot. Um, that consistently boils over. And I think, again, sometimes from well-intentioned adults, but not really sort of taking into account the fullness of the weight that our kids are carrying. Um, we, we yanked every, we, we literally yanked the rug out from a lot of these kids um, at the height of the pandemic when they needed support the most. And then think about the way the world began to function. So as an adult, everything went digital, right? Like we worked from home, we we connected professionally, even socially, uh, digitally. Um, and, and, and so translate that into a community that wasn't necessarily equipped before the pandemic to operate that way. And now it's not only required, it's the only option. You're talking about homes where high-speed internet was not a thing before. Before the pandemic, a lot of people connected through their cell phones. And that was fine when all you needed to do was surf the web or check your email occasionally. But now if this is the way you're, you're uh, expected to work for an eight-hour day, this is the way you're expected to connect to class, all day. This isn't mommy, can I have your phone to watch a YouTube video? This is all of my classes are happening digitally. And the only device we have in the home is the iPhone. And there's three kids in the house and one iPhone. How are we connecting to school? How are we no. doing that? And mom and dad, you know, potentially working from home. It, it just, it, there's, it was a lot, right? And so- Yeah, yeah. it's overwhelming. It's yeah. overwhelming to yeah. even uh, think about where to start, what to do, how to bring that change. It's it's so much, so much. Um, let me take you to the. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, everything you have shared is just is is so painful, and I of course uh, I see it, I know it, but I hope and pray many folks who have not, have not had. 
those kind of relationships in the past and didn't get to uh, dig into these uh, uh, deeper issues are uh, um, are moved uh, as a result of this conversation and hopefully they will look into that and hopefully some good news uh, will come out. But let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, the violence we are talking, I know that you guys are planning to, uh, gun violence, uh, you guys are planning something to address that and all that. Um, I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk about that now. Go ahead. Yeah, um, as I mentioned before, the uh, powder keg situation, the city has seen an uptick in violence. We are working um, as part of an, uh, a coalition of organizations and individuals who are committed to seeing the neighborhood transformed, the community transformed and, and lives spared. Um, not just a march, but I think strategically in trying to address the root of the issue, as I mentioned before. So we know that one of the, um, the known um, sort of cures, if I can use that um, term, has been employment. So it is something that we continue to lobby for. Um, we also know that a presence makes a difference. And so there, there are marches planned, there are um, interventions being planned now and throughout the summer. Um, I think what we want to focus on is, is, as I mentioned before, um, creating opportunities for our young people, both those who could be um, agitators and then those who could end up as either victims or um, simply just traumatized from the violence in the community, making sure that there are outlets for them to engage in positive activities um, and, and sort of healthy ways to, to let out some of the stress and anxiety that they may be carrying. Hmm. Hmm. So we're looking to do uh, employment programs, recreational activities, you know, um, encourage them to to use their voice and, and create opportunities for self-advocacy. All of those things is planned. Wow. Well, the Lord may um, bless you guys and bless your efforts and may bring many, 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 many partners from here and around the country to stand with you. And more importantly, may the Lord bring the change that is necessary um, to transform lives. So um, I was recently I spoke to somebody and I said, uh, we are um, the, one of my colleagues. He said, uh, we are not only souls. We are real people with real needs. Right. We have uh, um, families and all that. Um, uh, so. As we close, usually what I do, because the so far the pad, podcast has been very serious, even this topic, you can imagine how serious this topic is, painful. Um, but at the same time, in the middle of everything, there is something so unique. I see every time when I am in Harlem, um, I just see people smiling, laughing, music, dance, and all kind of things I see on still those things mm -hmm. exist mm -hmm. even though or darkness is uh, uh, prevailing and all that uh, so i want to close with this ready shirley sure. tell me a joke <laughs> um tell you a joke yes. i am not the best joke teller oh it's wow. all right give me some um, uh, 
Do, do you know, like uh, there are dad jokes, so I wonder if there are mom jokes. I never asked that question to anybody. I know. So I know that you are a mom, right? I am a mom. I have three little mm. boys, and they are the best joke teller. They would have. Yeah, they tell me been one of their jokes. A I, like this. <laughs> my um. young, my kids. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I, man, they are constantly telling me jokes, and. Most of the time, those jokes don't make sense, but they are jokes. So tell me <laughs> any joke, even from one of your children. I'm here. Okay. Um, let's see. What's a joke that my kids... Oh, um, all right. Here we go. So you have to repeat after me. They told me this one yesterday. Let's see okay. if I get it right. I'll repeat. Okay. Um, say Blue. Blue. Say yellow. Yellow. What color is the grass? Green. Ah, it works. No, you were supposed to say what color is the grass. Oh, <laughs> good job. It's like, uh, you know, Simon, Simon, Simon says. says. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I love it. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so I'm sorry. much. That was the best that I could come oh, up no, with. Oh, no, this is wonderful. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it next time. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Shirley, for being here with us. So, yes, here you have it. And um, uh, as always, looking forward to our next week with our next uh, speaker. Until then. God bless you all. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.